Well, there's certainly plenty to talk about both on and off the field this week in the A-League men's competition. Ownership rumours, forced loan deals, expansion news, controversial refereeing decisions and transfers abroad. We've got the full boat of talking points today. On the field, there was no shortage of drama either as Storm Rue does his best WWE impression on the Central Coast. We get a flashback to the Wall of Wellington and Perth get their first away win in 15 months. We'll cover all that and touch briefly on the Asian Cup on this episode of the A-Leagues of Our Own podcast presented by The Inner Sanctum. My name is Lachlan Abel and joining me for your A-League men's review is Jacob Stevens. Welcome in. Hello, hello. No uh, no Adelaide game for you to talk about this week. Uh, it's a bit disappointing that, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Still plenty of news though. And Kevin Sangster as well. Welcome in. Nice to be here, Lockie. Evening, guys. Well, to kick us off uh, for our kickoff question of the week, there's been a lot made over the last seven days or so about the APL's financial position and their focus since they've taken control over the A-Leagues, many calling that focus one of entertainment rather than football, which is a sentiment that personally I tend to agree with. So, Jago, I'll come to you first. What should the APL's focus be, say, over the next three years? What, what should they be prioritizing in your view? Um, I think that they should be really looking at the relationships that they have with the fans. Um, you know, the fans are the things that keep this league afloat. They're the ones that are paying, you know, to go and watch the games that are, you know, keeping economies going when they travel away, things like that. Um, and over the years, it's just been diminished really since about what 2015, just been downhill in terms of the way that the the governing body has has treated fans i think things are starting to to get a little bit better there's a bit more of a hands-off approach um but i think that they could still be actively doing a lot more to you know rebuild trust and and a bit of transparency with those fans as well kev what about you i think the primary thing they've got to be doing is, is making sure every team's financially viable i mean we've got the situation in perth where they don't seem to be able to buy players and they've got to loan them to survive Newcastle don't have an owner. Um, there's a massive disparity between the wealth of the clubs at the moment. Um, up here, Brisbane are, are struggling, I'd say. Um, they're not getting big crowds. So uh, so that needs to be the priority um, because particularly with Perth, I mean, it affects the, um, the competitive legitimacy of the competition, really. Um, it's easier said than done. How do you do that? Well, I think they need to get a TV deal. Um with some decent money to fund it. Um, and it's a bit of a chicken and an egg um, because they don't really have a product that the TV are going to pay mega bucks for at the moment. So they need to work on that would be my my suggestion. Yeah, absolutely. I, I've gone for probably a little bit of the mix between the two of you and I'm going to say suitable stadiums. Uh, to your point, Kev, just the rent that these teams are paying to get games in, in places like Sydney Football Stadium Amy Park for clubs like Melbourne City and Western United. It's costing them, you know, six figures in some cases. So it affects them financially. And getting to these smaller boutique stadiums with the right amount of chairs in the stands really helps uh, the match day experience as well, and increases the atmosphere, and then increases the financial value for the the TV rights as well, because it looks better on camera and the atmosphere is so much more enjoyable for fans. So. Absolutely. There's plenty to work on um, and I'm sure there's plenty more debate over the next few years, but let's get stuck in to our review of the action over the weekend. Our game of the week is the Central Coast Mariners 2 versus Melbourne City 1. Kev, obviously this one got a little fire at the end, but at the end of it, the Mariners, they're on an 11-game unbeaten streak now in all competitions and Mark Jackson is really getting this team clicking. 
Yeah, I, I, I watched this game uh, in full on uh, on Sunday afternoon. It's a really enjoyable game, actually. These two, um, the commentators were building it up. These two teams don't like each other um, because of what's happened in, in the recent past. I actually thought Central Coast took it to Melbourne City in the first half, and I thought they'd dominate them. Um, there's a guy in the middle of the park, Max Ballard, who I've not seen a lot of, um, to be honest. I've not watched many Mariners games, um, but he was outstanding. Um, and he really dominated midfield. Um, Torres is a real threat down the left, and he dominated the first half going forward. So I thought um, Central Coast were, were probably a bit unlucky to go in at level at half time. Um, they came out and they they got a goal. Um, but before that, the game changed when Naboo came on for City. Um, he injected a bit of danger down their right hand side, and. Um, to be honest, I thought Melbourne City were the better team in the second half, but the Mariners hit them on the break twice. Um, so it was a really good game, actually. And then obviously what happened at the end was uh, a little bit shambolic, to be honest. Um, but um, the Mariners, <laughs> i tell you what, looked out for them. They're, they're, um, they're a good team. They're, they're fast becoming my second favourite team, I have to say. And I'll explain why uh, later. Oh, very interesting. Well, Jacob, you know, they lost their first four games of the season. They looked like they well, they lost a lot of personnel. We know we've talked about that plenty. Losing all these games and then they come back and they're having this really good run. How has it happened? How has Mark Jackson got this team to where they are now? It's just lots of little tweaks and improvements in really significant areas um, all over the pitch. I mean, fundamentally, they still play with their same formation, um, you know, the four-two-three-one double pivot as they did at round one against Adelaide. Um, of course, like you mentioned, they've had different players leaving and all that. But even then, there's only small changes um, in terms of who's who's starting. You know, you've brought Theo Harrison instead of Will Wilson. Um, Nisbet's replaced Tulio. You know, there's not massive changes. What he's done is it's really systemic stuff. Um, so defensively, Central Coast last season, renowned for their really high intensity press that they they used. They had Cummins leading the line and he was absolutely dominant in that role. Um, and I noticed in early games for the Mariners this season that they just didn't really employ any sort of a press whatsoever, um, let alone one of any sort of intensity. And recently he's got them back into playing more of a 4-4-2 mid-block um, and he's got some interesting press triggers in there. So as the ball moves laterally across the opposition's back line, that's when the attackers press. Um, and, and the attempt is to try and dispossess the players as the ball's moving across the pitch rather than up and down the pitch. What happens here is that um, then the wingers, when they're pressing, they reset once the ball is worked right the way back to the goalkeeper. And they then drop back and it's a 4-4-2 again. And... This works in two ways. Number one, you're keeping the press, but two, you're not giving up that space in behind because once the ball's back to the goalkeeper, the wingers drop back again. Um, and so you're keeping a bit of midfield structure and you avoid being a, you know hit on the quick break. You know This also has a really good effect in creating massive gaps between the opposition's lines, between their defensive midfield, um, because you're constantly forcing the defense back, but you're keeping the midfield pegged in with your rotations. Um, and so that forces the opposition, rather than trying to play through the press, they have to go around it and go wide. Um, and for certain teams, you know, City heavily reliant on the likes of Tolgay Arslan. If you can't get him involved, they really struggle going forwards. And, and Mariners, their game plan worked perfectly there. I think that they do still need to um, work on their defence when they're sitting deep in a low block. We saw it towards the end of the game. Um, you know, they sort of invited City to attack them. 
um, in that second half, and they looked a little bit poor there. But in transition, because of this press that uh, that Mark Jackson has brought in, they look a, a much better team, and and they look really threatening in transitional phases of play. And I guess Kev, you know, bringing on this kind of systemic focus around the team and not focusing on individuals so much as Jacob is describing. It helps you when in the middle of your season, a player who's been scoring a lot of goals for you, Marco Tullio, leaves to go abroad and you can bring in Christian Theo Harris and play relatively the same way. And although he might not have the same quality, you know, Christian had a really good game on the weekend. He, he got his goal down the right-hand side. You know, being able to focus on what the team is doing rather than what individuals are doing is surely beneficial in the longer term. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I thought, because the last time I watched Central Coast was up here in Brisbane when they were excellent and Tulio was brilliant. Um, and I thought they'd miss him. And Theo, Theo Harris uh, basically made that idea redundant within the first 25 minutes. So uh, so it's great to have, have him in. Interestingly, though, when he went off, they brought a right back on and pretty much played a back five. And I was a bit disappointed in that. And then I thought about it and thought, I'm just wondering whether they've got the depth in numbers to be able to continue that because um, I think Theo Harris was coming off an injury and he's probably not fully match fit. Um, they have bought apparently an, another Brazilian, Barcelos, uh, who didn't actually get on the pitch, but he's been playing in um, the Portuguese top flight. Um, don't think he's been playing a lot, but he has, that's where he's he's come online from. So uh, I couldn't quite work out whether he's a, an out and out centre forward, or a bit of play across all all three lines of the, all three positions up front. So I, I guess if if they've got the people to be able to continue to play that system, yeah, they're going to be dangerous. And um, I think I think Jacks is doing a great job. So they're sitting fourth now in the league, only below the Wanderers on goal difference. Uh, yes, goal difference because they are equal on wins. Just to highlight that little. <laughs> little particularity there but uh let, let's get stuck into the fun stuff then jacob right towards the end of the game jacob farrell terry antonis there's a little free kick there farrell does what most players do when they're trying to get a foul they grab the ball and force the referee to make a decision terry leaves a foot in farrell doesn't like it too much and it all starts to kick off you could probably make a case for about 13 or 14 players receiving yellow cards at the end of it. Only a couple do. Storm Rue gets his red for, as I said, doing his best WWE impression and trying to throw Tolgay Arse onto the ground. It wasn't no, it wasn't really serious. No one was really in any danger. A little bit of fun on the Central Coast. Uh, I love to see it. You know, it's just funny to watch, you know, these... 22 professional football players you know doing their best impression of a cage match like it's just ridiculous <laughs> it's ridiculous it's the sort of stuff you just have to laugh at honestly i'm surprised that there weren't more cards handed out like you alluded to Lockie. especially with var there i think maybe they would like we just can't be bothered looking at this because we're going to send off a lot of people here um it's probably something they'll deal with um later on i think Paletti was saying earlier that um, the FA are still looking at it and are yet to make a comment properly on on what's happened. So, you know, we might see um, some extra um, sanctions come in there. But it was just absolutely ridiculous. Honestly, I think it sort of um, uh, was the epitome of, of what this game, this fixture has become between these two teams as well. It's getting really heated and it's nice to see little organic rivalries develop outside of, you know, just in the same state or in the same city. 
Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head and you've both mentioned it briefly about the rivalry between these teams starting to grow a little bit. And one of the funniest uh, bits about the whole kerfuffle was the fans, the Mariners fans right in front singing 6-1-6-1, obviously in reference to last year's grand final as, as the fight was going on. Adelaide and, and Melbourne victory are probably the only rivalry that you could say has developed organically in the A-League so far. We go back to that John Cosmina moment where he gets knocked off the chair by Kevin Musket. Maybe it's a little scrap in Gosford that can elevate this fixture to a new level. Yeah, listen, um, I, I tend to agree with Jacob. It was quite fun to watch. It was a bit bizarre. Um, but the one thing I would say is that I think Central Coast can be a little bit stiff about getting the only red card when it was Antonis who clearly started it. Um, I, I think it would have been fairer um, for uh, being one red card on either side, and he was the obvious culprit. Um, because if you look at it now, they've got to deal with their, their main right back out for two games and um, City don't. That's not fair, really. Um, so, so that would be the only sort of serious point to make about it. But apart from that, yeah, the rivalry is brilliant. Um, and apparently they were saying uh, the next one is, is, is in March. So look out for that. Well, we'll wait to see uh, what FA says about that. As Jacob says, they haven't made an official uh, comment on it or, or decision in terms of further punishment. But we'll save our discussion on refereeing decisions uh, for a little bit later in the show because we do have a few <laughs> more to talk about. Let's do a little bit of Asian Cup. Kev, we said when we last talked, you know, everything was pretty much on par for the tournament in terms of our expectations. That is not true anymore. Japan and South Korea both dropping points in the recent days. Japan's loss to Iraq means they cannot top Group D due to the AFC using head-to-head record before goal difference. That is huge for the Socceroos in terms of an Australian perspective, Jacob. If we win our group, Japan are on the other side. We won't have to worry about them until the final. South Korea draw leaves their group E open as well. It's really starting to get thrown around a little bit. Yeah, but like you said, Australia have to top the group now or they end up in you know, that side of the bracket with all of the competition. So um, it's just put a little bit more weight into the result of the Uzbekistan game now. You know, There's no excuse for Australia to go out there and be toothless. They have to you know, really fight to you know, um, make sure that they stay top. And I know that Uzbekistan will be you know, hoping to bounce back after a couple of performances where maybe they weren't at their best either. So it, it should be an, an absolute cracker of a game. But I think that these results, you know, Japan and Korea both dropping points, this is exactly what tournament football is about. It's about making sure that you can play your, not your best football, but football that's good enough for the length of the tournament. You know, it doesn't matter if you have one amazing game and two terrible ones because then you're out of the group. You know, it's about finding that balance. And, you know, that's one of those real intricacies that, you know, clearly Japan and Korea have failed to do so far. So, Kev, the likeliest outcome now is that of those big five teams that we talked about in part two of our preview, Saudi Arabia are likely the only team to be on our side of the draw. They were unconvincing at best uh, in their 2-0 win over Kyrgyzstan as well. They're far from playing their best football. Does the expectations for Australia shift now? Do we really have to have our eyes set on that final? I think we need to get top the group first, as Jacob said, and I don't think of that's course, a foregone conclusion yet. 
Um, once that happens, and I think it will, I, as I, I think I said on the show the other night, um, I think the Aussies will draw uh, against Uzbekistan, uh, which will mean they top the group. And then, yeah, I don't see any reason why the Aussies can't get all the way to the final now. Um, the one thing I'd say about Japan, I was surprised uh, that they lost, obviously, that game. But don't rule them out. I, I keep thinking about that Saudi Arabia-Argentina game in the World Cup. Uh, and then the Argentinians came back and ended up winning it. Didn't affect the position of the group, fortunately, for Argentina. They managed to still win the group, I think, um, and went all the way. So I still think Japan will win it, um, but it's going to be a much more difficult route for them. And that also plays into Australia's favour, because if they do get to the final, they might not have had t- as tough a games as their opponents. And Jacob, the other bit of news out of the Australia camp is that Mitchell Duke is out uh, for that third group game against Uzbekistan. A slight hamstring issue, uh, a little bit vague on the severity of it. Uh, Arnold said they're going to go game by game, but he definitely won't start the game against the Uzbeks. Opens the door perhaps for Bruno Fornaroli. I know we talked, we were hoping that he'd probably start anyway. But that looks you know, almost pretty certain now and we get to see a little bit of a shuffled lineup. Yeah, basically forces Arnie's hand now into playing somebody else, which, you know, we'll have all the people on Twitter pretty happy with that, I'm sure, because they, they they never find something to stop complaining about, you know, and, and this time around it's, you know, who's playing at striker. So, you know, they'll, they'll be happy with that. But yeah, Arnie's got to make some choices now. And I, I've said it, you know, after every game, players that he brings in that change the game and, and look good. And I think McGree has been the one for me this tournament that's looked absolutely incredible both times that he's been on the pitch um i think that there might be a little injury niggle or something which is why he hasn't seen maybe as many minutes as people might be expecting but if we really want to secure the win i think that you know arnie's got to consider you know giving him as many minutes as possible in this game against uzbekistan because when he gets the ball he's absolutely electric with it all right of course if you're listening to this episode on release day tuesday the 23rd the Socceroos are playing tonight so we'll have another episode out tomorrow with our reaction to that game but let's jump back into the a-league action and we're going to go to wellington phoenix one melbourne victory one next jacob this is you know built as a top of the table encounter turned out it probably wasn't the most exciting game that we were expecting. There was a great turnout in Wellington, to be fair to them, but it was filled with controversy. Uh, four interesting decisions, which I'm probably only giving them a, a pass mark for, and we can go through them all <laughs> if you really want to. Adama Traore, very first, on Krayev in the box, no review. I, I thought that was a penalty. Sitting there looking at yeah. it, I thought Traore, he's pulled him down the way. Krayev falls, he's gone backwards. I don't know how that wasn't even considered. Economides' toe being in an offside position to disallow victory their opener. As harsh as that is, that that's fair. You know, you can't yeah, argue that he wasn't offside. in an offside position. Yeah, even if he gets a touch or not, that's irrelevant. He's still blocking the path of the ball. Payne's yellow to the red upgrade is really funny because when you see him get up and the referee's Daniel Elders coming over to him, he's got this tape on his wrist that he starts to just peel off as if he's going to unwind it and throw it on the ground and walk down the tunnel. And then he looks up and then he sees this yellow card in front of him and he goes, okay, I'll just keep that tape there. Might need that for a while longer. I think that one was overturned correctly as well. Studs up, can't have too many complaints. But then Jacob... The, the penalty. Tell me if I'm crazy here, but I, I, I'm not sure. It may be a foul. It may be one of those 50-50 scenarios, but I don't know how that's a clear and obvious mistake from the referee. 
I'm really torn with it. I'm really torn with it because I can see both sides of the argument. You know, I put myself, you know, as a fan for either of those teams and you look at it and, you know, of course you want that to be a penalty every time, you know, but then if that's your defender that's done that, you think, no, that's fine. No penalty there. So I can see exactly why. And it's one of those ones that's close enough where either decision I think was acceptable but I think just the fact that you've got VAR there as well so there's that added scrutiny of making sure that it's 100% correct with these ones where it's a judgment call you're never going to get it 100% correct and you're never going to make 100% of the fans happy and um, I think that that's really what the the big issue here is is that you know nobody was that there was always going to be somebody not happy with this decision either way Um, and uh, yeah I don't know was it a penalty was it not I'm going to just say yes. I'm going to go with the refs. I'm going to go, they, they're paid to do that job. Hate them as much as they want. It's a tough gig. Um, they don't they don't have many, if any, supporters. So, <laughs> you know, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt that, that, that they saw something there um, and that it was the correct call on the day. What are you giving the metaphor for the game? Um, I think the, the big one was the Traore on cry of one. That was as blatant a pull as I've seen in a long time in this league. And the fact it was just waved off was a bit absurd. I think Kryev didn't do himself any favors by being a bit theatrical with it. But I mean, come on, that that was... So I'm going I'm to give them, honestly, I'm going to give them two and a half out of four because you okay. could go either way with that final penalty call. Kev, out of four? I'd go with Jacob, yeah. I, I I think I'd give the benefit of the doubt to the ref on the penalty at the end. Uh, I thought it was 50-50. could have gone either way. Um, you've got to give the referee, um, you're giving the whistle for a reason. Um, but the first one, from what I saw, that that was that was a foul. And it, to, to have no review is odd. Why have the VAR if you're not going to use it? Um, so, uh, so, yeah, I, I, I think three out of four, he got right. Yeah, well, of course, you know, my understanding of VAR is that they are all reviewed in some manner, at least a quick glance by the VAR, and obviously no review was recommended to Daniel Elder. But yeah, I don't know how that wasn't given a penalty. There was actually some football played, Jacob. The the first half was a really (laughs) intriguing tactical battle. You know, Wellington, we were talking about it at the time, switched these three at the back and adjusted their tactical system. Daniel Azani was, you know, tearing it up down the right wing, cut this ball across for Nishan Valupale, who somehow nutmegged himself. It was, it was quite remarkable that he didn't score that goal. But, well, we can talk about that, but the red card changes everything after that. Yeah, the red card was was massive. I think actually maybe quite helpful for Wellington in that I didn't think they looked all that convincing with their three at the back um, in possession, sort of playing in like a, a 3-4-3 type of shape. Um, I think in isolation, it's an idea that makes sense, especially against a team like Victory. Um, you know, Traore, I found in that game, was often dragging himself into midfield and opening up um, those wide spaces. Um, but it also meant that Victory had extra support in the midfield. So you want then to have extra support there. So you're going to play a back three as well. So you can have another player in that line ahead of them. Um so yeah, in isolation, I think it makes sense. But victory were clever in the way that they pressed and the rotations that they used. Um, they weren't an all-out press. It wasn't a hybrid press. It was just on-off, on-off. It was varied. There would be different players. You know, there'd be different numbers of players pre- pressing. It'd be a different intensity every time. And it basically was just trying to keep Wellington on their toes. And I don't think that 
Phoenix were really expecting that when they came into it. They thought if we just load up on the midfield, we'll have control there. But victory went, we are going to, you know, press you to within an inch of your life and then all of a sudden let you have the ball and just really confuse them. Phoenix had players all out of position. I think one that was really, really bad was Payne, to be honest. Um, he got forward very, very early in build-up phases and it sort of forced Pennington to shift across. And so then you're taking that extra player out of the midfield anyway to cover the the run from right back. So you're actually just ruining your own system and your own structure. So when Payne got sent off, it actually kind of worked for them because they just sat back into that low block, that wall of Wellington, like you said. And that's when they, you know, were able to to hold out against against you know, a victory side that have been pretty ruthless in attack so far this season. Um, so I think it was a worthwhile experiment, one that didn't pay off. Fortunately, they, you know, for, for Italiano, he'll be happy they didn't lose. Um, but I think he'll be, he'll think twice before making such an abrupt change again. Kev, the, the tactical analysis of Wellington in the first probably month of the season was that they're very good at sitting back and remaining compact but can punish teams a lot in transition. They've evolved so much as a team since then, but in the second half when they're only 10 men, they had to. They were almost forced to revert to that kind of mindset and they did it extremely well. Right? It took a, a very healthy dose of luck in the end for the breakthrough. I don't believe that Connor Chapman knew absolutely anything about that deflection that, that got them the lead. But you know, we, all, we talked about the penalty and then got the goal back, but Wellington were able to sit back and be very resilient for majority of that second half. Yeah, I, I, I really like Wellington. And one of the things I like, they, they, they can defend. They know how to do that and they were forced to. Um, and, um, and, but their character, they, they, get, they defend for 35 minutes with 10 men and then concede a, a lucky goal. Uh, and fair enough, the penalty was debatable that they got to equalise, but they were at the other end uh, in the box with 10 men still trying. Um, and that shows character. Um, and it also showed character to put the ball in the back of the net from the penalty as well. That was, that's in the last minute penalty. Um, so, yeah, I, I really like them as a, I think they've got a good mentality. Uh, and they're, from a tactical point of view, yeah, that they can defend, they can hit teams on the break. I struggle, I, I, I actually think they're better against better teams. Um, because when they, when teams sit back on them, they've got to try and uh, dominate possession and, and break them down. And I'm not sure that's their strength. Um, but it does mean that if they get into the finals, which almost certainly they will, they're going to be a threat because they'll be hard to beat. They absolutely will be. All right, let's move on to Brisbane Rule 1, MacArthur FC 3. Kev, a really nice performance from MacArthur. And, and for me, out of this game, what I learnt, they have these two star players in Germain and the Villa who are brilliant almost week in, week out. But what they showed in this game is that they have some really nice pieces around them as well to be able to complement those two players and finish off moves. We saw Raphael getting on the end of that delightful ball from Jermaine for the second goal. Jed Drew absolutely tearing it up down the right wing. And we'll talk about his direct opponent a little bit later. But he created the first and, yes, a little bit fortunate to get his goal. But, you know, these little pieces like Raphael and Drew to slot in with Jermaine and Davila going forward. They complement each other really nicely and they pose a very dangerous threat going forwards. Yeah, I thought the front four were head and shoulders above their their opposing front four for Brisbane. Um, Jermaine and Davila, we know a class. Um, Jed Drew was the best player on the pitch. Now, 
there's a, I think there's a reason for that, and we'll come on to that in a minute. But he, he, he used the space that he was given very, very well. Uh, and Raphael got in good place, got in good spaces. Didn't actually use him a lot um, in terms of down the left. Everything was going down the right. So what he ended up doing was getting in the box and and, and effectively um, playing off Jermaine as a, almost as a second striker. So yeah, they looked really good going forward, um, and and didn't look too troubled at the back. But again, I think that's partly due to Brisbane's ineptitude as well. Um, so uh, so yeah, that. I still don't think they're a great team, MacArthur. Uh, I don't think when they play against one of the top teams defensively, I, I think they still have. Uh, I've got some doubts, but going forward, they'll they'll score goals. Of course, Jacob, they lost one of their starting centre halves, Aspro Potamides, as well. He's he left in the January transfer window. They had this really good start to the season that came to a little bit of a halt after their AFC Cup campaign wrapped up. But this is a pretty good performance against Brisbane. Where do you sit on the Bulls at the moment? Um, it's tough to get a good read on them. I think that this was a little more reminiscent of their early season form and the way that they sort of played in those first few rounds of the season. A lot of really good wing play, a lot of players backing themselves to beat their their direct opponent, you know, with the ball at feet. Um, you know, Jedrew obviously did really well there. And now they've brought in, you know, Bernardo from Adelaide, who is equally as, as capable of doing that as well. So I think they're really going all in on being an attacking threat. Um, you know, with the loss of Aspro at, at the back, I think I doubt, I'm doubtful they'll bring anybody in to fully replace him. So they're going all out on on making sure that they have attacking stocks and players that are really going to fit the system that they're trying to play um, and that are, you know, working hard to score goals. It's the sort of thing Adelaide did last season, right? Like, we're just not going to even bother trying to defend. We're just going to score more goals in the opposition. I think if MacArthur sort of look at it in that sense, I think they've got the ability to score re- like a lot of goals at every game. They've got, you know, quality, like we said, Jermaine and, and Davila, but now they've brought in some some good players on the wings as well, and they look uh, really threatening as well. So I think, yeah, it's a tough one. They've also got the um, AFC Cup fixtures too. Is fixture congestion going to come into it? I don't know. Um, guess we'll just have to see. But they're one of those teams. There's that whole mid-pack in the A-League this season where it's sort of anyone's game and nobody's really stepped up to, to stake a claim over it. So it's just one of those teams alongside, you know, like your city, Brisbane, Adelaide, that are just sort of there or thereabouts. But nobody's really gone, right, we're going to make sure that we put a gap between ourselves and the others. I think it's important to put it into context about who they were playing and the challenges that Brisbane have got at the moment as well. Um, so Brisbane bought, well, first of all, let's get it on cards on the table. Corey Brown has been, uh, their, their main left back's been out for six weeks and they've missed him massively. They played Zabala at the back on the left-hand side for three weeks and Lolly absolutely ran rings around him when they played Sydney. They buy a centre-half, left-sided centre-half from victory, and he's played the last two games at left-back, and he's not a left-back, um, Ryan Leslie. Um, so I actually felt sorry for him, it, but it was his error. Um, and one, I'll, I'll throw in a stat here. Yes, MacArthur, it was a decent performance, but Raw dominated the possession before the first goal. They had 50% more final third entries than MacArthur did although the XG was still in MacArthur's favour because they weren't creating anything. Um, so two things were a factor. The first one was the left-back, which Sydney targeted and MacArthur clearly did as well. Um, so every time they got the ball, it was straight out to Drew and he, he, he had acres of space. 
And because he was basically playing a, a, a centre-half, he couldn't keep up with him. Um, so that's the first thing. The second thing was, going forward, Brisbane had a lot of the ball, but we've got an 18-year-old kid up front. And although he's going to be a decent player eventually, he's not really cut it, I don't think, at A-League standard yet. Um, when they brought Markovsky on in the second half, and I don't think he's a, a, in the same league as Jermaine and Davila and... Um, uh, the guy from Adelaide, the Japanese guy whose name I can never remember. I mean, that's... Ibasuki. Yeah. I mean, that, that guy can hold the ball up and he knows what he's doing. And these guys are still learning their trade. So um, I felt that Brisbane had a lot of the ball. Some of the stuff Ben Khan wants to do, possession football, high press, it was there, but they just didn't have a finishing product. And then you're making mistakes at the back. And they ain't got a lot of confidence anyway. And also, MacArthur were coming from a background of not doing very well. Suddenly, they get a goal and their confidence lifts. And interestingly as well, the final thing I'll say is that just before MacArthur scored their second goal, which was again an error at the le- at left back, gave Jermaine far too much time to look up and put the ball across. A great ball, but he shouldn't have had that time to do it. Um, Mark um, Milosinic missed, well, he should have hit the target. Um, he, he didn't hit the target um, just out on the right-hand side. If that had gone in, it's 1-1. So there are actually some positive signs for Brisbane, but it's frustrating because there's a couple of positions, and in my view, it's left-back and centre-forward um, that are hurting them all the time. Well, let's pick up on the centre-forward one. Tommy Waddingham, of course, you know he had a great run in pre-season at the Australia Cup. It almost feels like Jacob, he's had a little bit of a grace period but because of his performances in those games and he's been given a little bit of time. Kev, correct me if I'm wrong, but he's only scored maybe one or two goals in the actual A-League proper and and that's a little bit less of a return than you want. Uh, I was just going to say it's always difficult when you're you know, relying on a youngster um, in a position where you're, you know you want them to score every game. You look at Iran Kunda this season and the weight that he's put on his own shoulders to go out there and perform every night and there have been times where he hasn't and how frustrated he gets with that I think it's about understanding how to implement these youngsters into teams and that's something that A-League clubs are still learning because they have such a, a gap between having you know youngsters and having you know 30 plus year old veteran journeymen and nothing really in the middle to bridge that <laughs> gap um, it's sort of a balancing act that these clubs are still trying to get used to um, you know Brisbane it makes sense to give him a run out. You know, he did well in the Oz Cup, you know, but like Kev said, there are a few deficiencies to his game and he's still young and he's not quite at the level yet that you need. So it's always difficult. Listen, I don't want to knock an 18-year-old kid. I think he's doing great to play at that level and they were short of strikers and they had a go and he did really well in the um, in the cup. But to relax, he's pretty much played every game. Um, and I think he probably needs a break. And Markovsky's come off the break, a bench and scored two and two. So I think he he probably starts. But if you look at the comparison across the league, I'm just writing them down. You've got Gomez at Sydney, Fornaroli at, um, at, at Melbourne Victory, uh, Jermaine at MacArthur, the Japanese guy, again, I've forgotten his name, at Adelaide. I mean, and then you've got Waddingham. I mean, it's just not, it's not a fair comparison on him. Um, so... And it comes down to what we were talking about earlier about the viability of the competition and um, are all the clubs financially viable? Have Brisbane got the money to go out and buy a striker? And frankly, I don't think they do. I mean, I guess a lot of the criticism, in the, well, some of it at least in the A-League has been a lack of trust in Aussie strikers and that debate transition to the national team as well. I guess we have, we have to be a little bit gentle with them, all right? We, we talk about guys like Tommy Waddingham, 
Noah Bottich at Western United. These are the kind of kids that we need to get minutes in the A-League if we want to develop good strikers. Absolutely. So I completely take your point. The comparison Definitely. probably isn't just that that fair at the moment. Um, but, you know, Kev, let's talk about it. Cards on the table, as you said before. I know we see this one a little differently, but there was obviously a big moment in the match. Keegan Jelicic comes off the bench after signing in midweek. Straight red card and uh, go. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I have to say, I went, at the time, I was really quite annoyed, um, but that's probably because I'm supporting the Raw and we were 3-1 down and everything else. And it was in the last two minutes. Uh, I'd also written an article on Jelicic bigging him up like a day before, um, so I was a little bit frustrated. <laughs> but, um, but in terms of... I did watch it again, uh, and I, I was open to the idea of thinking, Kev, you were wrong at the time, and just admit it. Um, but I watched it, I stilled it down, and both feet are on the ground. Now, it, it was reckless, and it was a foul, and I would have given him a yellow card. But I looked closely at the referee, and what happened was Jelicic, he dived in. <laughs> both feet were on the floor, by the way. Um, he, he got the edge of the ball, and it, but it was actually the trailing leg that made it look worse. Then the centre-half from MacArthur went charging in and shirt-fronted him. And in order to, to stop that escalating, I think the referee got a red card out. If MacArthur centre-half didn't react in that way, I don't think it would have been a red. That's my opinion. So I completely take your argument. And you know, you guys know I have an officiating background, so I watch this slightly differently. For me, if, if you're watch, watching Alex King as his situation evolves... For me, he already has his hand in his pocket or going towards his pocket before that altercation occurs. Does he have both cards in the same pocket? Uh, Look, he may do. Maybe that's a point of difference. I'm not sure. But for me, he's already in the process of giving the red card. And in his mind, he's just trying to get it out quickly and in the face of the MacArthur players as quickly as possible. So they know Mm. that he's sending the player off to hopefully, you know, diffuse the situation. So I take your point. You know, we'll never know for sure. Jacob, maybe just round this off quickly. Uh, red card or no red card? Oh, no, you put me in a tough spot here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all I'm going to say is, being a supporter of Sutton United, I've seen plenty of these sorts of tackles over the years in lower league English football. Um, so I'll admit that it was interesting to see it given as a red because I've seen these sorts of things, not even given as a foul sometimes. But um uh, again, I'm going to side with the referee and just you know try and avoid some controversy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, tied it up nicely. Uh, before we get to the last couple of games of the week, let's do a little bit of admin from around the league. There's a lot of news that came through in the last few days. The first bit is is the Canberra expansion license. We believe the rumours are that it'll be announced at some point this week that a men's Canberra team will be in the A-League. We're going to talk about a bit more about this tomorrow, Kev. Um on the dub show just because of the implications it has particularly with the women's team but it is a good thing at least that you know if we are going to have these 14 teams next year that we're getting it sorted now so they have at least that seven to eight months to prepare for their new new season yeah absolutely i mean the more time they get to prepare the better um i i don't know much about the canberra football market uh, i'll let paletti um talk about that on uh, on tomorrow's pod but um, I think it's great that Canberra have representation. It often seems to me a bit weird that we don't have an A-League team in the capital city. Uh, I know it's not a big city, but I think from that point of view, it makes sense. So good luck to them. And Jacob, I'm sure you're rolling in this afternoon 
uh, maybe happy to have a little bit of a break about talking about Adelaide United, but that is not the case. The rumours are looking stronger and stronger that Alex Popovich will get his move to Korea to play for Guangzhou FC. Yeah, I'm really conflicted about this because he's a really, really talented young player who can go on to some really big things, I'm sure, with his career. And honestly, I think I can see him, you know, becoming the the soccer's starting centre back for you know a long time to come if he keeps up keeps up on on the trajectory that he's on. But as an Adelaide fan, it really hurts. We've already got depleted stock at centre back. You know, we've been playing Isaias there um, because of injuries and just not very good depth. Um, and this hurts a lot because he's been incredibly good this season. Um, so if the rumours are true that he's going, obviously wish him well um, and I want to see him succeed, but it will definitely hurt Adelaide's chances this season to lose such a pivotal part of the defence. And then in the, in the West, of course, uh, some big news at Perth Glory. You know, there was reports during the week that a consortium that includes former Socceroo Mark Bresciano was reportedly holding meetings in Perth uh, around a possible takeover of the club. And Kev, you know, you talked about this right off the bat in terms of making sure these clubs are sustainable long term. The APL can't foot, uh, foot the bill forever, and it's important that this stuff gets sorted out. Absolutely. I mean, I remember oh, 10, 15 years ago, Perth were um, we, were really flying, and, and the fan base over there was was really loud and and, and quite big, um, and they just seem to have lost the. Um, lost the fans and, and obviously this ownership thing has not helped so I really hope that they get a, a consortium together that, that's got some money to put in, into it and and they're not forced to loan players like it seems like they've had to do uh, in the last week or two yeah so Salim Khalifi is the player in question he's been loaned from Perth Glory to the Melbourne Victory the, the APL sold this as a collective decision between the club Cordamenta which is the receivership company that's handling the sale and the APL, uh, the message was not uh, similar from Alan Stajic's point of view. Uh, in his post-game press conference, he was asked about it and said that was a decision without instruction, consent, or compensation. Jacob, that's not a great look uh, to have one of your players essentially stripped away from you and given to another club. They've lost Oliver Bazanich as well that I believe they've been told they can't re-sign. You can only do so much as a coach when these are the conditions you're being asked to work with. It's absolutely just insane. I've never heard anywhere around the world in all of the crazy football stories of a league forcing a player to be, you know, loaned out to direct competition in the same league. That's just simply insane. Um, And it puts Perth in a really bad position. It puts Stajic in a really bad position. But it opens up a whole load of questions. Can teams just go, we want this player, give him to us now? Like, is that is that the precedent that's being set? You know, I think this has probably made Stadich's decision a little easier in terms of his future. Um, you know, there were chats about what's he going to do? You know, is he going to stick with this and hope they get new owners? I think if you're in a situation where the league is just taking players away from you, I'm not sure how you for your own mental health can stay in that sort of a, an environment because who knows, you could be the next one. You know, they could go, nah, you know, you're out of a job now, sir. Yeah, well, we know soccer Twitter loves a comparison between the A-leg and the MLS, so I'll drop another live grenade on the table. There was a time in the MLS where players' contracts were owned by the league and then told by the league where they were going to go play. So I really hope that's not the route we're going down in Australia, but uh, it's a very interesting precedent that's being set, Kev. Yeah, I, I really hope that's not the case either. I hate that model. Um, 
But um, yeah, let's just get a new ownership in Perth and hopefully it'll resolve itself would be my thoughts there. All right. Well, Jacob, in some positive Perth uh, glory news, they got a win. And we said in the intro, it was their first away win in 15 months. That's quite a remarkable statistic. A 2-1 win over the Western Sydney Wanderers. They got it done. It's almost as simple as that at this point for (laughs) Perth. They got three points. Yeah, and I'm sure you'll be happy with that because that means your prediction was right there, hey. time lucky. <laughs> um, I, I think it was honestly an uncharacteristic from the one uh, performance from the Wanderers. Um, at the back, they've been pretty solid all season and they were just all over the place from what I saw. I'll be honest, I didn't watch the full 90. I went back and watched the mini-match, but from what I saw, there was just not a lot of structure going on um, in, at the back four. Um, I think there might have been some communication issues between centre-backs because one was always on a slightly higher line than the other one, which meant there was just the space between them and, and sort of two defensive lines then. Um, you know, Priestman um, in the middle of the park was a bit out of his depth as well. They were playing the four-four-two that they've come to play a lot this season and he was operating as a lone six and just really struggled to cover all of that ground on his own and he was often overwhelmed by Perth players who were attacking on the break, which is what Perth were doing, you know, was just allowing Wanderers to come to them and then hitting quickly on the break. Um, I think that the Wanderers' fullbacks had a bit of a poor game as well. Um, They were misreading the play. Um, They were allowing Perth players to get in behind them so it was just an, a particularly uncharacteristic performance from Wanderers. But, you know, from a Perth perspective, they still had to get the job done. Um, and like you said just before, you know, that's what they did. They got the job done. The other news out of the Western Sydney Wanderers, uh, just as we started recording tonight, even Brandon Borello officially signed on for three more years. That follows Marco Rudan's contract extension uh, last week as well. That's a couple of handy signings, Wanderers, uh, moving forward. All right, Jacob, round us off with the final game of the round. Sydney FC 4, Newcastle Jets nil. Yeah, um, uh, this Sydney attack, when they are on, they are absolutely on. Um, we saw it with um, you know the 5-1 against Adelaide away here, another 4-0. It's one of those things where if all of their forwards are on the same page, they're unstoppable. You know, their front three all contributed with goals. You had Wood with one, Lolly with one, Burgess with two. Um, and that's been a real strong point for them this season is, you know, when they score goals, they score a lot of them. But on the flip side, they've also been pretty unclinical. Um, they've got, um, from from my research, one of the highest expected goals per 90, so like an average expected goals per game. They've got the highest in the league, but they're tied fifth in terms of the numbers of goals that they've scored. So, you know, they're creating good chances um, and when they finish them, they completely dominate games. And when they don't, they struggle. You know, they've got a zero goal difference after 13 games. Um, so they've been very hit or miss so far this season. When they hit, they hit hard. When they miss, they miss big. All right. Well, let's round off uh, today's episode with our predictions game. We only had four calls in last week, so not a whole lot to choose from. Kev, uh, you and Pauletti both had predictions for the same game. You predicted Wellington to a win. Of course, they only got a draw. But Paletti predicted them to get at least two shots on target, which would have been an improvement from their last outing against the Melbourne victory. So they were technically correct. Um, of course, I'm going to put my hands up. Perth to win against the Wanderers. I'm pretty happy with that one. Got on the money there. And then, Jacob, your prediction was for Newcastle Absolutely to win. Woeful. <laughs> but Stamatolopoulos not to score. 
Can I claim residual points from Unite round? <laughs> I, got, I got my prediction right there. Kev? I was just going to say, I, I'm just going to put my uh, put my hand up for one point because surely mine was closer than Jacob's. I, I think you're right. Jacob yeah. is definitely out. <laughs> Lost I was, I was so wrong. <laughs> so long. Paletti can have two just because they technically did get their prediction correct. I'd be very upset if anyone contested me for three votes this week. So I'm going to take the three. Lockie three, Pauletti yeah. two, and Kev one. That's our official first week of scoring, all right? We've got we everyone go. involved now. Christian and Antonis, unlucky. We put the call out for predictions this week. They did not get back to us in time, so they are ineligible this week. Suckers. I'll I'll kick us off uh, with our absentees from the podcast. Chris and Ross have both put on predictions for the, the big blue. Ross said that victory will win the game and remained undefeated and Nishan Valu player will score a brace. So very specific, very brave. Well done to Ross. But Chris has said for Sydney to end victory's unbeaten season by two or more goals. So not just going with straight results, which I respect. It would be perfect if it was a two-all draw. <laughs> two-all draw would be very funny. <laughs> yes. And then Pauletti's got very creative as well. And they've said that they're going to be upset about the Canberra men's team announcement midweek for potentially not choosing to retain the brand and history of Canberra United. And Kev, you made a very good point uh, pre-record tonight that you know they can probably just lock up some points with that one because they can choose whether to be upset or not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Very bizarre, wasn't that? Well, maybe a low threshold in terms of difficulty then. A low difficulty multiplier. is They're going for the safe yeah. one instead of maybe a chance yeah. at three. Uh, but, Jacob, I'll go to you. What, you can tell us live what's your prediction for next week. Well, with the rumor of losing um, Popovich in the air, with Viet's tendency to switch things around needlessly, I'm saying that Adelaide are going to use yet another new formation that will bring us up to a tally of about four or five years so far this season. I do have a question, though. As the uh, resident tactical expert in this group, how are we going to decide if you're correct or not? <laughs> are we going to have to rely on you to tell us? <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. Or you're going to have to watch the Adelaide game. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Kev, what about you? Yeah. So I'm going to go for a bit of a controversial one. Uh, Brisbane to be in the top six by the end of the weekend. And why I say that is we're actually playing twice this week, which helps. Um, so mm. away at Newcastle on Tuesday night. Um, so I think they'll get three points there. Um, Rumour has it that three or four players could be back for Brisbane um, and they need them. Um, I think Beringay, uh, the attacking midfielder, and uh, more importantly, Corey Brown, the left-back, could be back. Um, and then they're going to play at Central Coast away and I'm going for them to get a point against my second favourite team. Um, and I'll just share you why Central Coast has suddenly gone up in my estimation, apart from all the unbeaten record, is that Mark Jackson is from Leeds, uh, which is very near where I'm from. But more importantly, his assistant manager is Danny Schofield, who used to be the assistant manager at Huddersfield Town. Um, and I only found right. that out this weekend. So there you go. All right. Well, to be fair to you, Brisbane Rule would have to jump three positions to get up into the six. That's a, that's a, it's a bold prediction. It is. It is a bold I, like, prediction. I like it. He's going for the three points. I like it. Very nice. Mm. I'm I'm going a little. Bit, I don't know. Sure. I'm, I'm not sure if we're going to get any of these predictions right this week. <laughs> but I'm going to say Stamatolopoulos again is going to copy his performance from this week. He's going to score an offside goal. Gets disallowed, and they're going to lose to nil against Wellington Phoenix. I actually think you should get a point just for pronouncing his name correctly, to be honest. 
<laughs> oh, I was so disappointed when I heard that Aspropotamides was leaving the league after I spent so long trying to nail the pronunciation of his name. <laughs> but thank you. I appreciate it. We'll leave the bonus points for now, but maybe we'll get creative towards the end of the year. But that will do for this episode of the A-Leagues of our own podcast. Jacob Stevens, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you very much for having me again. Kevin Sangster, thank you as well. Thank you, Lockie. Good to be here again. Well, we've got a loaded schedule for you this week. Two episodes are going to drop on Wednesday. You're going to have your dub review first thing in the morning, followed by an Asian Cup mini after the Socceroos versus Uzbekistan game tonight. So enjoy that. Two episodes tomorrow. Look, keep your eyes peeled for those. But thank you all very much for listening at home. Goodbye. <laughs>